Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this Friday evening presentation. I'm very happy to see you, and I sincerely hope that you had a lovely day, a productive day, a day walking with God. I had a good one, and I thank God for that. I thank Him for life. I thank Him for the privilege of being able to preach His Word without persecution. There are some parts of the world where you cannot do this. So I'm grateful to God for this tremendous privilege, and I thank you for being with us. All those who are here for the first time, may I see your hands? First-time visitors, God bless you, God bless you. There are quite a few. Thank you very much for coming, and I do hope that you will be blessed as you sit where truth is spoken and received. Let us now bow our heads and pray. Loving Father in heaven, I ask you in the name of Jesus to be with us now as one more night we discuss truth that sanctifies, truth that makes men and women free. Lord, take control of the mind of the speaker and open the hearts of the hearers that the truth may triumph through speaker and audience. I offer this prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I want to offer a special prayer for anyone who is sick. Please come forward. Anyone who is sick, I want to pray for you now. If I have a healthy audience, then we will say hallelujah. But if anyone is sick, I want to pray for you now. Come. Praying for the sick. The Bible says in Psalm 103, reading from verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. A special prayer for the sick. Physical and mental and spiritual. God can do a miracle at any time. Never miss an opportunity to make yourself available for the miracle working power of God. We're praying for the sick. Exodus 15, verse 26, the Bible says, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and give ear to his statutes, and keep all his commandments, I will put none of these diseases upon you, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. I am the Lord that healeth thee. God is a healer. Exodus 23, verse 25, And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and God shall bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. That's what God says. You'll notice every promise of healing is associated with obedience to God. Anyone else? We're praying for the sick. With God, all things are possible. What's impossible for the medical professional is possible for God. Luke 18, 27, the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. One final call, we're praying for the sick. Come. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our loving Father in heaven, we come into your presence to seek your mercy and your grace and your favor. We ask you first, dear God, look into our hearts and whatever is in us that is unlike you, we ask you to remove it. Forgive our sins, we pray. Heal our transgressions. Cast our iniquities into the depth of the sea and remember them no more. And give us a heart and a mind that loves to do right. 
Lord, we bring to you our sicknesses and our illnesses. The Bible says in Matthew 8, verse 16, 17, And when even was come, they brought unto him all that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, meaning that Christ not only took our sins to the cross, he took our sicknesses to the cross. And we're asking you in the name of Jesus, their God, the power that cleanses sin, let it all be, so be the power that cleanses us from our sicknesses, our ailments, whatever conditions weaken us. Please, Lord, place healing upon us that we may use this health for your glory first and highest. We offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Let everyone say amen and amen. God bless you. God bless you. you. May return to your seats. While you're returning, let me tell you, next week I intend to have a special anointing service for the sick. A special service. I will tell you what the preparations will be and what day it will be a special anointing service according to James 5, 14 through 16, for the sick. Welcome those of you who are coming in. God bless you. Our subject for tonight, some of this and some of that, is our subject for tonight, some of this and some of that. It's a different kind of message tonight. It is actually three messages in one. What I will be doing is answering objections. And I felt impressed to do this by the Spirit of God, answering objections. So our sermon is some of this and some of that. Wherever I go to preach, and not only I, but other preachers, series like this, one of the questions that always come up is, the Bible says that I can eat anything because no creature of God should be refused. It is sanctified by prayer and by the word of God. So every creature of God is good for food. Is that what the Bible teaches? Am I in the sight of God innocent when I deliberately eat that which God has forbidden? Let us take a look at a general view of Eden. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2 verse 8. We're answering the question, does the Bible say that everything is good for food. And our subject is some of this and some of that. Here a little, very little. Genesis 2 verse 8. The Bible says, verse 9 I should say, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight. The tree of life, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, we have two trees named. The tree of life, in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We have a third tree named in chapter 3, verse 7, when Adam and Eve made fig leaves. So we have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life, and the fig tree. We have three trees named. The Bible names other trees that are in the garden, but this is not found in Genesis. I'll take you there momentarily. Look at Genesis 2.9 again carefully. And out of the ground, May the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. This verse is only stressing trees that bore fruit. This verse is not saying that every tree in the garden or in the world was good for food. The verse is merely stressing the trees that were fruit producing. There were other trees in the garden that were not fruit-bearing trees, and not good for food. Let's find that out in Ezekiel chapter 31. We're establishing the pattern that not all trees were good for food. Not all trees bore fruit. Ezekiel 31, reading verse 8. Now in this chapter, God is speaking against Pharaoh. And God is warning Pharaoh that he will be destroyed just the way God destroyed the king of Assyria. 
Now God is describing the king of Assyria in all his glory and his pomp and his splendor. And in verse 8, in describing the king, God describes him as a tree. And God says, the cedars in the garden of God could not hide him. The fir trees were not like his boughs, and the chestnut trees were not like his branches. What that verse tells us is that in the garden of Eden, that's what the garden of God means, there were cedars, there were chestnuts, there were firs, and there were other trees. Now we know a cedar tree is not a fruit-bearing tree. No one eats the fruit of a cedar or a fir. The point I am making is that every tree that God made when he made the earth was not a tree designed to produce food. So when Genesis 2.9 says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, Moses, understanding and realizing he's about to write about the test, which is a test of eating, he is stressing only the fruit-bearing, food-bearing trees. The point is, not all trees were to be eaten. The diet before sin was plant-based. But not all plants were good for food. I don't get the impression you're understanding me. Are you understanding? Let me try it again. When God made the Garden of Eden, the world, He made a variety of trees. Some were fruit-bearing, you could eat of those. Others were just trees, like the cedar and the firs, for other purposes, but not to provide food. Is that clear? Now, after sin and the flood, the flood destroyed every living thing on the face of the earth. The only thing available to eat were animals. Not all the animals were fit for food. The same way when plants were the food, not all plants were fit for food. Now the diet has gone to meat because there's no vegetation because of the flood. Now not all animals are fit for food either. Are you following me? All right. The principle is not all vegetation is fit for food before sin and after sin, not all living beasts are fit for food. Let us go to Genesis 7. We're answering the question, does the Bible say I can eat anything? Genesis chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. And our subject is some of this and some of that. We're hitting three areas. In Genesis 7, 1, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen what? Righteous before me in this generation of every what beast? Clean beast. What does that tell you immediately? Way back before the flood, there were beasts that were clean and beasts that were unclean. Before the flood, and Noah preached 120 years before the flood came. There were clean beasts and there were unclean beasts. And God said, Of every clean beast, thou shalt take how many? Seven, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean, by two. Look at the math again, or for the first time. God wants more what? Clean than unclean. Why? Because when Noah comes out of the ark, he needs to eat the clean meats. But he's not allowed to eat unclean food. That goes back hundreds of years, year thousands before the Jews. For those who say the laws of diets in Leviticus and Deuteronomy were for the Jews, unclean and clean went way back before the Jews. If you go to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis 9. Verse 4. But flesh with the... But flesh with the... Which is the... Shall you not eat? What is God saying? Don't eat blood. Some people associate that with the Jews and kosher meats. God forbade the eating of blood right after they stepped out of the ark. There were no Jews for a few thousand years. No, 
Jews. What I'm saying, the fundamental principles of, of eating were established for the world, not for any particular group of people, the Jews. Now, we discovered not all trees were to be used for food. Not all animals were to be used for food. Now, let us go to Leviticus chapter 11. We're answering the question, does the Bible say, I can eat anything? Leviticus 11, we shall read from verse 2. The Bible says, speak unto them, saying, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, these are the beasts which you shall eat of all beasts that are on the earth. Whatsoever does what? Parteth the hoof, and is cloven-footed, and cheweth the cud among the beasts that ye shall eat. Look at verse 7. And the swine, give me another word for swine. The pig. The pork producer. The pig. Though he divide the hoof, and is cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cud, he is what? Unclean. Finish that verse. He's unclean. Ah. Ah. That's critical. Now to whom is God speaking now? To whom is he speaking? His people. Because the world was in such a state, people were eating anything. Now God has to separate. He says, look, he is unclean to you. If you look at verse 4, it ends unclean to you. Verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, and it is unclean to you. Now, who is you? Because if you're not you, then you can eat whatever you like. Who is you? God's people. Now, let's go to that verse that people use to excuse eating anything. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's get some information about who is you. It is unclean to you. 1 Timothy chapter 4, reading from verse 1. What's our subject? And? 1 Timothy chapter 4, reading from verse 1. Who wrote Timothy? Paul. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Let me pause and digress as I normally do. In these last days, people will walk away from the truth to believe doctrines of devils. That is not only sad, it is tragic. That people made in the image of God can set aside plainly stated truth and be seduced by doctrines of devils. Verse 2 of 1 Timothy 4. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their consciences seared with a hot iron. Now verse 3. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received of them which with thanksgiving, of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God, verse 4, is what? Good. And nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Now, let's go back to verse 3. Listen to verse 3. Forbidding to marry, that's not our concern now, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of whom? Those who believe and know the truth. Now, is Paul speaking to the whole world? No. Paul is saying God hath created meats that are good if they are received with thanksgiving of those who believe and know the truth. Now, believe what? There's only one thing we're called upon to believe. That's the gospel. And one person, that's Jesus Christ. Christ is the heart of the gospel. The gospel is the news about how Christ saves a man or a woman. So that those who believe are those who believe the gospel. 
Let's go to Mark 1. Don't lose 1 Timothy 4. Let's go to Mark chapter 1, reading verses 14 and 15. Our subject is some of this and some of that. We're clearing up the question, does the Bible give us permission to eat anything we like? Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. I can hear the music of the pages turning. All right, you should have found Mark by now. You have him. Chapter 1, verse 14. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, verse 15, the time is at hand and the what? Kingdom of God is repent and The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Then he says, repent and believe the gospel. When Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.3, For God hath created creatures to be received of them which believe, of them which believe the gospel. Now let's take another look at the gospel. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1. Romans 1. I'm trying to stay in God's word so that you know what I say is biblical and not my opinion. Romans chapter 1, reading from verse 16. The Bible says, this is Paul speaking, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is what? The power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for therein is what? The righteousness of God what? From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. Now, we go back to 1 Timothy 4, verse 3. For every creature of God is good. That's what people say. On that basis, they believe they can eat anything. But read 3 again. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them who believe. The gospel, which is the righteousness of God. And when the Bible says believe, it doesn't just mean, oh, I believe there's something called a gospel and that's it. Because the Bible says the devils believe, but they tremble. It won't save them. This belief is belief unto salvation. Amen. We're talking about saved people, saved by the gospel. And Paul is telling Timothy, God have, has created some meats that are fit for those who have accepted the gospel and know the truth. That's why Tim Paul can say in verse 6, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, who are the brethren? The saints. Those who have accepted the gospel, their lives transformed, they're covered by the righteousness of Christ. This is the group to whom Paul is writing. And Paul tells Timothy, if thou put the saints in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Tell them that there are some foods they can eat. So we're talking about the saints, not the whole world. You know, people love to have their cake and eat it too. So when a person wants to eat pork, they say, well, God said I can eat anything. You offer them a slug, and then they change their theology. You offer them a lizard, and that's not what they meant. What they meant was God said I can eat what I like. God said I can disobey him in the area of diet. Let us go to Daniel chapter 1. And then we'll move on to the next bit. Daniel 1. We read verses 5 and 8. Jerusalem has been overrun by Nebuchadnezzar. He takes Daniel to Jerusalem, to uh, Babylon. Daniel is a young man, very bright, intelligent, along with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar wants to educate them that they might serve his government. The Bible says in verse 5, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank. 
so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to feed them a special diet, give them special instruction, then after three years he would examine them. Verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart. What does that mean? He made up his mind. Do, let me digress again. Do you understand the power of a made-up mind? When your mind is made up, no one can move you. Whether it's made up to do good or it's made up to do evil, no one can move you. The Bible says, Daniel, and many of us, we do not purpose in our hearts to do anything. And so we're like this. When a student purposes in his heart or her heart to study, that person's performance will go up. If you purpose in your heart to put away some television, put away all that music and just sit down with your books, your grades will improve. If you purpose in your heart to cut off those friends that try to get you into drugs and alcohol and whatever else, your life will be safer. And if you purpose in your heart to make time for God's word, God will bless you. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile his body. There are some foods that defile the body. And Daniel said, no. My brother, my sister, the Bible does not teach you can eat whatever you like. Because your body does not belong to you. 1 Corinthians 16, 20, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body and in your spirit which are God's. 1 Corinthians 3.17 If any man destroy this body, him shall God destroy. I told you a few nights ago, many sicknesses from which we suffer are the result of what goes down here. Let's go to the second bit. I was baptized once before. Should I be baptized again? I am a good man. I'm a Christian. Member of the Church of the Pleasant Valley. And I was faithful. Let's take a look at that. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, and my time is moving so quickly, I will never understand. Nowhere else in the world have I seen time fly so fast as it flies here in Redlands. I stand up, I say hi, and 25 minutes have gone by. What book did I say? What chapter? Reading from verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all of the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now verse 5. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem. Who? Jews. What's the next word? Devout. What is devout men out of every nation under heaven? What is a devout person? Dedicated. Now this is a religious occasion. What's a devout person? Dedicated to what? To God, the church. Devout men, that's what the Bible says. Let's see an example of devout men. Go to Acts chapter 8. Don't lose 2. Acts 8. I believe every person listening to me now is devout. Man and woman, boy and girl. Acts chapter 8. In that chapter, in the previous chapter, Stephen has been stoned to death. In Acts chapter 8, verse 2, the Bible says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. What does that tell you? Men who are of the same spirit and mind of Stephen, faithful, devout men, risking their lives by associating themselves with Stephen who had been stoned for what he believed. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation. They mourned. It was great, not small. Let's go back to Acts 2. And they were in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men under every nation under heaven. Out of every nation under heaven. Now, these were the men listening to preach a preach, to uh, Peter preach. 
Let's go to verse 37 of the book of Acts, chapter 2. Now we're coming to the conclusion of Peter's sermon. The Bible says, when they heard these things, they were what? Pricked in their hearts. Who is they? Devout men. Devout men. Now to know where they came from, let's go back to Acts 2. Let's look at verse 9. Parthians. Elamites. Who else? Medes. Dwellers in Mesopotamia. And in Judea. And Cappadocia. In Pontus. And Asia. Phrygia. And Pamphylia. In Egypt. And in the places of Cyrene, about of Egypt, Cyrene, uh, strangers of Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretes, Arabians, all these devout men from various nations, they came, and as these devout men listened, the Bible says in verse 37, they were pricked, they were convicted. This is something we did not know. So they said, because they were devout and honest, they said, what shall we do? A devout person always wants to know what's the next step to get me closer to God. Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you. Which devout man did he ex exempt? None. <laughs> For the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Devout men baptized. Let's go to Acts 19. See some more devout men. Acts 19, reading from verse 1. We're asking the second objection. I was baptized. I was a member of a church. Oh, I am. I've heard new truth. What should I do? I've learned what I never knew before. What should I do? Let's go to the Bible. Acts 19, reading from verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass that when Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now, how can you be saved without the Holy Ghost? And they said unto him, We've never heard whether there be any such thing as the Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Verse 4, Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which had come after him, that is, Christ Jesus. You read verse 6. Read verse 6. The oh, verse 5, sorry. When they heard this, they were... How long did they wait? How soon should you do us right? When they heard this, because they were sincere in heart, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, verse 6, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake in tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about 12. How are they described in verse 1? Disciples. But disciples with limited information. You've got sincere persons in churches that preach the law has been done away with. You've got sincere people in churches that preach the Holy Ghost is electricity. You've got sincere people who believe Jesus is less than God. These are critical truths. And when you hear them, and they take you to another spiritual dimension, you've got a decision to make. And these 12 disciples, they were disciples, the Bible said. You know, Jesus had 12 disciples that we, we all know their names. Here were 12 others, we know nothing about them. Other than, when they heard truth they never heard before, they unhesitatingly did the honest thing and got baptized. Devout men in Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Devout men from every nation under heaven. When the truth slid into their hearts, conviction fired up and they got baptized. What shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive 
You see, devoutness must be associated with truth. Jesus said in John 16 too, the day will come when people will kill you and think they're doing me a service. They'll do it very devoutly. Are you with me? They'll do it very devoutly. But committing murder in the name of Jesus because of the absence of life-changing information. If you were baptized not knowing what you did, then you were 10, 11, 12. Now there's some at 10, 11, 12 who know what they're doing. I was in Idaho, June something. place called Bonner's Ferry, right close to the Canadian border. And this little boy said, I'd like to talk to you. He was nine. He said, I've made a decision to baptize. I wonder if you had any thoughts. That's exactly what he said to me. I wonder if you have any thoughts. So I said, well, let me scramble for some thoughts. I said, why do you want to be baptized? He said, what do you mean? To live close to Jesus? I felt so embarrassed. He looked at me as if, what kind of preacher are you? Asking me, why do I want to be baptized? He said, to live close to Jesus. I said, well, you don't need my thoughts. You understand why you're being baptized. Now, many people are baptized not knowing what they've done. God overlooks ignorance in the sense that he doesn't hold you responsible when you don't know. But God does not glorify ignorance. God desires that we should know. If you were baptized not really knowing what you were doing, you ought to pray and say, God, now that I know, now that greater light has dazzled me, what should I do? It is what God tells you, not what I tell you. But God will not counsel you contrary to the truth. The Holy Ghost convicts in the light of the truth. And so the Bible nowhere gives us permission to eat anything we like. The Bible makes provision for people to be rebaptized if you walk with Christ and you drifted, which means you broke the covenant. You have to come back the way it was originally established through the rite of baptism to re-enter the body of Christ. You broke it. You left. Number three, a bit of this, some of this, and some of that. The Bible says the first day of the week is the Sabbath. What can you tell me about the first day of the week? Let us look at every use of the first day of the week in the New Testament. Let's go to Matthew 28 and see if of the eight occasions, one of them says it is the Sabbath. Matthew 28, reading from verse 1. We are answering objections, an unusual type of presentation, but I hope the Lord is blessing your heart. Matthew 28, reading from verse 1. Matthew is the first gospel, the one with the greatest number of chapters. Which one is the shortest? Mark. Do we have Matthew 28, verse 1? The Bible says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Now, examine that verse. Notice what the verse says. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to do what? Dawn towards the first day of the week. The Sabbath was ended. Ended. In the end of the Sabbath. It was over. As it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher because they were coming to embalm the body. They did not do it the day before because the day before was the Sabbath. Let's go to Mark 16, reading verse 1. The second use of the first day of the week. Mark 16, verse 1. Someone next to you has no Bible, be sure to share with that person. Mark 16, verse 1. The Bible says, And when the Sabbath was what? Passed. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. Here again, we have the information. 
And when the Sabbath was passed, gone, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came to work, not rest. They came to anoint the body, which they refused to do on Friday evening because the Sabbath was coming. That's why they were there so early in the morning. They were itching to do it, but they refused to do it on the Sabbath, so they went home and rested according to Luke 24, uh, 23, verse 56. And we'll get there. So we've seen Matthew 28, verse 1. We've seen Luke 6, um, Mark 16, verse 1. Let's look at Mark 16, verse 9. Mark 16, verse 9. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Is there any authority for keeping the first day of the week in that verse? No. It simply says, when Jesus had risen early the first day of the week, that's when he rose, all Christians agree, that's why they celebrate Easter. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. We have three verses. Matthew 21, 28, verse 1. Mark 16, 1. Mark 16, 9. We have no authority for regarding the first day as holy. Let's go to Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 1. Luke 24, verse 1. But before we read verse 1, let's go two verses up. Verses 55 and 56 of chapter 23 to make a connection. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. In other words, they wanted to know exactly how he was laid, where he was laid, so when they came to anoint, the business could be done quickly and efficiently. Verse 56. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments. Finish that verse. And rested the Sabbath day how? According to the commandment. Which commandment? The fourth. Now, people said the sacrifice of Christ freed me from the law. But this is after Christ is dead. He's dead. They're not free from the obligation to obey God's law. He's dead, and they washed the body, how it was laid, where it was laid, and they returned. Now, that woman, Mary Magdalene, was one of them. And she loved Jesus. The Bible says, we read in uh, Mark 69, Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to whom? Mary Magdalene. He says in Luke 7:47, She loved much. Her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. For to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. He was saying, I have forgiven her so much. She loves me that much. Amen. That same woman comes. She stands at the body of Christ. And she has a decision to make. This is the body of the man who died for me. This is the body of the man who cast out seven demons out of me. Or some people believe he cast out one demon seven times. This is the body of the man whose feet I wash with tears and wipe them with the hairs of my head and anointed them with ointment. I put myself at risk to do that publicly. This is the man I loved purely. But I have to keep God's Sabbath. So while it looks like a good thing to embalm the body of Christ on Sabbath, hmm? can you think of a better excuse? To embalm the body of Christ? Mary Magdalene said, no. No. If he were alive, he'd tell me don't do it. No, she left the dead body there. Went back. And the Bible says, rested on the Sabbath day according to the commandment. And the commandment does not recognize the body of Jesus as an exception. Because it was that man who spoke the same law from Sinai. You know, I might have made all kinds of excuses. We love to make them, well, this is Jesus, he'll understand. No, he won't. No, he won't. Jesus understands one thing, do what I say. Now, I know you don't like that, but that's what Jesus understands. Listen to me, loving obedience from the heart is the first law of heaven. 
Now let's read Luke 24 verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came under the sepulcher bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. This is Mary Magdalene and the other ladies mentioned in uh, Mark chapter 16 verses 1-2. The Sabbath was passed. Upon the first day of the week they came. Let's go to John chapter 20. We're looking now, I believe, at the fifth use of the term first day of the week. We have seen no evidence that the first day is holy. John chapter 20, reading verse 1. This is John chapter 20, verse 1. The Bible says, The first day of the week cometh Mary, when it was yet dark, early when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. She just came to look for the Savior she loved. No authority to observe that day as holy. She came to work, to embalm him. Stay in John 20. Let's go to verse 19. John 20, verse 19. Then the first day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the, disciple, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Look at that verse again. What were they doing on the first day of the week? Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for what reason? Fear. They were scared to death because they believed what happened to Jesus would happen to them. They were hiding, not worshipping. Doors bolted. When you worship, you don't bolt the doors. You want people to come in and worship with you. Amen. They were scared to death, hiding. Jesus had to just pass through solid matter to get to them. First day of the week, no authority for keeping it holy. Those are the occasions that the, verse, the, the, the expression is found in the Gospels. Let's go to, to the book of uh, Acts. Acts chapter 20, reading verse 7, as we continue, some of this and some of that, we're answering objections. Acts 20, one verse, verse 7. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bed, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and he continues his speech until midnight. Now, let me tell you something. According to the Bible, a day begins when? What, according to the Bible, what, time, what day is it now? Saturday or Sabbath, according to the Bible. Way back from Genesis, and the evening and the morning were the first day. When the sun sets, a day has ended, another one begins. So when you read Acts 20, verse 7, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. You know what that night was? Our Saturday night. Not Sunday night. As some people like it because they say first day of the week. It was our Saturday night that Paul was preaching. Because we don't follow the Bible's method of beginning a day at sunset. We begin our days when? Midnight. So your clock says midnight, mine says five to, yours says ten after, and midnight comes several times. But when the sun sets, it sets for us. Here in uh, California or Redlands or wherever, the day begins at sunset and ends at sunset. So when Paul preached in Acts 27, he was actually preaching on a, according to us, Saturday night. The way we reckon time. Because we will not say, what night is this? We won't say Saturday night. We're not biblical that way. Oh, this is Friday night. Biblically, this is Saturday night. Because a day begins at sunset and ends at sunset. Matthew 28, verse 1, no authority for keeping the first day holy. Mark 16, verse 1, no authority. Mark 16, verse 9, no authority. Uh, Luke 24, verse 1, no authority. John 21, no authority. John 20, 19, no authority. Acts 27, no authority. Let's go to the last one. 1 Corinthians 16, reading from verse 1. This is Paul again. 1 Corinthians 16, reading from verse 1. 
Paul is picking up a special collection to help the saints in Macedonia, I believe. He is making a trip, picking up the various donations from churches. And he writes, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. All Paul is saying, because according to Bible scholars, people back then were paid on the first day of the week. So Paul wants his money the moment they got theirs. So Paul says, the first day of the week, as God has prospered you, leave some for your Macedonian brothers who are in trouble. I'm coming through in a hurry. Because people in need can't wait. Don't gather when I get, gather before I get there. I'm coming through like a whirlwind, pick it up, and I'm gone. Because people have needs. So all Paul is saying, you get the money together. But if you, the verse in the original Greek simply means a private setting aside, not a church service. A private setting aside. Let every one of you lay by him in store. That is individual, private at home. It does not describe a church service. Even if it describes a church service, you can have a church service on Wednesday. That's not a problem. Amen. You can have one on Thursday. That is not a problem. Amen. The problem is when you try to make Thursday holy, Amen. which it is not. The problem comes in when we try to make Sunday holy, which it is not. You know, in uh, Numbers chapter 23, go there with me. Numbers 23. We'll read verses 19 and 20. Numbers 23. And we're coming to the close. Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible. It's called Numbers because in that book the Israelites are numbered by tribe, I believe. Verse, chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Verse 20. I have received commandment to bless. This is Balaam speaking. He hath blessed, and I what? Cannot reverse it. Now if you read, I believe it's verse 16 of the same chapter. What does that verse say? And the Lord did what? Met Balaam and... Put a word in his mouth. This was the word God put in his mouth. That he cannot lie. And what he blesses, no one can reverse. Genesis 2 verses 2 and 3 tell us. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day. Now you tell me who can reverse it. The Bible says when God blesses, no one can reverse it. Let me tell you quickly, when God curses, no one can reverse it. Does the Bible give me permission to eat anything I like? No. Not at all. Not in the least. I'm a good man. I was going to church. Should I be rebaptized? Yes, if you've got significant knowledge you never had before and the Holy Ghost convicts your heart. I was baptized when I knew nothing. Should I be rebaptized? Yes. And I'm preaching about baptism next week. Does the Bible say the first day is a day of worship? You can worship on any day. Does the Bible say the first day is holy? No. Does the Bible say the first day is the Sabbath? No. There's something in people that drives them to do what most people do. But I believe there's something in you, that's the Spirit of God, that will drive you to do what's God, what God's Word says. God is looking for people, John 4, 23, who will worship Him how? People love to worship God in spirit. And they think noise is the Spirit. Noise, noise, noise. They call it the Spirit. Well, fine. God says, why don't you mingle a little truth with that? Worship me in spirit and in truth. Because that's who I am. The Bible says in John 4, 24, God is a spirit. And if Christ is truth, God is truth. God is spirit. God is truth. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. 
And that's who he is looking for, according to the words of Christ. Those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Has he found you? Tomorrow, we're having a Sabbath service right here. We've invited some of you to come and keep the Sabbath for the first time. And you've signed the cards, turned them in, we've prayed over them. We've also invited those who used to keep the Sabbath. For some reason, you drifted and you want to come back. We want to see you tomorrow. Those of you who will come tomorrow to keep the Sabbath for the first time or to begin keeping it again, let me see your hands. Bless you. There are others. Let me see your hands. We have a special dinner for you after the service. The others are probably not here. We have their cards. You're coming to keep the Sabbath for the first time or to resume keeping the Sabbath. You're the ones I want to see. We start 10 o'clock. I preach at 11. Then we have this special dinner right after service. Then I come back and speak tomorrow night. Another message from God's Word. How many of you will be here tomorrow? Hands down. You're coming to observe the Sabbath with us. Either first time or resuming that practice. Anyone else? I can't see the balcony because of the lights. If your hands are raised, God bless you. Those of you considering rebaptism, let me see your hands. You're considering it. God bless you. God, God bless you. God bless you. Consider it prayerfully. God bless you. I see your hands. God bless you. God bless you. Those of you considering it, come let me pray for you, present you to God. Come. Considering it, come. Let me present you to God. Very seriously. My time is about up for the camera but not for the service. You're considering it? Come. Let me pray for you. You're coming to church tomorrow for the first time, Sabbath keeping. You come as well. Let me present you to God. God bless you. Come right here. Considering rebaptism because you've drifted, you didn't know what you were doing, come and stand right here. You must consider, as I say, prayerfully. God must convict you, not I. And you'll come tomorrow to observe one Sabbath for the first time. Come stand here. Let me present you to God. If you're resuming the healthy habit of keeping the Sabbath, you come right here. Let me pray for you. I'd like a couple of my other preachers to come join us here so that we're surrounded by power. That's right. Thank you, Brother Wart. Pastor Williams, God bless you. My dear Pastor Wosu, come. God bless you, my dear brother. And my brother coming here. You're considering baptism or rebaptism, one or the other. And I'll preach about it more precisely next week. You're coming tomorrow to keep one Sabbath for the first time. Or you're coming to resume the practice because you had forgotten, you drifted away, you're coming back to do what God requires of you. Come stand right here. Let my sister come. I see her, I see her every night, just about every night. Faithful sister, God bless you as you come. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Those of you who will pray that the Holy Spirit will move the hearts of your brothers and sisters, would you stand with me? You'll pray for them, that God will direct them aright, and that they will obey. Stand. God bless you. My dear sweet sister, God bless you. God bless you. Happy to see you. Always am. And those of you here, Every head bowed, every eye closed. And before I pray, let me tell you, when you come tomorrow, we're putting a special ribbon on you so we can identify you from the rest of the folk. We want to know precisely who you are when you come tomorrow. Heads bowed, eyes closed. And after I've prayed, I'd like you to stay right where you are so I can talk to you briefly. Father in heaven, I present to you those whose hearts have been touched by the truth. There are others on whose hearts the Spirit of God is working to the point of perspiration, not giving up too soon. Soften those hearts and bring them as well. Tomorrow, we celebrate the Sabbath as Jesus did, as Adam did, and we want to follow that tradition because it is biblical, and we have no other authority for observing any other day. We want to put into our bodies only those things the Bible says are clean, 
And we want to obey the conviction of the Spirit and be rebaptized as you direct us and to be baptized. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, who died for these precious souls, I present them to you as men, women, boys, and girls determined to obey you and do your will. Place your Spirit in their hearts, I pray, and I plead. Keep them firm in their decision. Keep the devil back. Fill them with your Spirit. Protect them by your angels. Let all heaven rejoice in their decision. And let all heaven prepare to rejoice in the other decisions that will be made. I offer this prayer along with my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name and for his sake, let all God's people say, Amen, amen. and Amen. Those of you who came, stay right where you are. You get some cards. Stay right where you are. God bless you, my beloved brothers and sisters. For the second night, I won't be at the door shaking hands. But shake somebody's hand. Let them know how happy you are to see them. And tell them you're shaking their hand for me. So God bless you. And I will see you tomorrow.